With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. As always, we're honored that you're joining us. And keep in mind, if you don't gain some new knowledge during this hour, and I'm sure you will, we have a 200% money-back guarantee. Yep, we'll refund double what you paid to listen. Now, regardless of where you are in the world, whether you're tuning into the live show or you're listening to the archive, I'm confident you'll be glad you joined us. Now, regardless of whether you're new to investing or have decades of experience, you should get a pad, pad and pen or some electronic device that you use to take notes. Now, if you're driving, hopefully you carry a recorder for taking notes as I do, or you can go back and take notes as you listen from the archive. And by the way, the same link that gets you to the live show will get you to the archive. Our topic today is investment funds, which in the U.S. are called mutual funds. Now, if you wonder what a, what's so mutual about these funds, stay with us. We'll be asking our guest about that. Now, I often mention achieving the financial holy grail, which I define as income for life. That's the goal of getting an education, working hard, saving, and investing wisely, to build a portfolio that provides us income for life, the holy grail. So it's not the size of your portfolio that's really as critical. It's important how does it spin off sufficient income for you to live off. So if you had a lot of money that you can't get at, it doesn't help. Now, these investment funds and their exchange-traded cousins are key components of achieving that holy grail since they allow you to diversify even with a small portfolio. So early in our saving and investing career, they are one of the best ways to invest. The key question I can't answer is if these funds are so fundamental, why haven't we covered them earlier in our four-plus years of being on the air? I'll just say it's better late than never. Our guest today will help you understand what investment, also known as mutual funds, are, how many you should own, and provide some tips on selection. Now, you may want to be you may be wondering, excuse me, how I can be so sure since the show is live. It's not pre-recorded, so how can I be so sure that's what we'll cover? Well, first, he's a returning guest, and secondly, he teaches financial advisors about mutual funds as part of certification programs. We have a tradition of using a quote to set the stage for the topic, and I'd like to share two contrasting quotes for today's show that I feel are appropriate, and sometimes our guests get a kick out of them. First of all, one that's uh, very optimistic, positive about them, is mutual funds have historically offered safety and diversification. 
and they and they spare you the responsibility of picking individual stocks. Let me repeat that since I mumbled through there a little bit. Mutual funds have historically offered safety and diversification, and they spare you the responsibility of picking individual stocks. That stock is that uh, quote, excuse me, about mutual funds is from Ron Chernoff. Now the and I think I have quoted him in the past. Now the second quote, I just don't like mutual funds. I think they're a ripoff. <laughs> this quote is from Robert Kiyosaki. And again, let me repeat that quote. I just don't like mutual funds. I think they're a ripoff. Now, if you heard our show with Sharon Lecter, the co-author of the of most of the Rich Dad series of books, I learned the hard way there's a good chance that quote should be attributed to both Robert Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter. So forgive me, Sharon, if it is my source just had his name listed. Now, today is Monday, February 23rd, 2015. It's 9 04 here in Arizona, 11.04 on the East Coast, where our guest is, and 17.04 in continental Europe. It's the only day ever like it. We'll do everything possible to make, great, make it a great one, or at least this portion of it. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Now, I certainly hope you can eat, join us each time we air, but if you happen to miss some shows like the earlier ones in the series that I mentioned uh, with uh, Sharon Lecter or maybe the one uh, that our guest on was in the past, you can find them on the archive. That archive, of course, is on wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Our sponsor today is BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area. The U.S. equity markets, after reaching three new highs since our last show, that, by the way, makes it 101 new highs since the Great Recession, and I'm using the S&P 500 here, although most of the indices are going to be somewhat similar. They are off to a negative start today. Asia was up overnight, mixed uh, in Europe, and Brazil is down. So there's a bull market somewhere, always. Now, the advantage of joining us for the live show is you get to ask questions or make comments, either using the chat window below the radio player, and I have that in front of me. There we go. In case you do send in a uh, chat, I will make sure we incorporate those comments or questions. But if you're listening to the archive, neither the chat window nor calling in will work. Trust me on that. On the other hand, if you listen to the archive of the show, especially 10 or 20 years in the future, you'll have some history to see how the information and tips you hear on this show would have impacted your wealth accumulation. Always good to listen live, and it doesn't hurt to go back and listen later. Our special guest to discuss investment, a.k.a. mutual funds, is Dr. David Nanigian. An associate, excuse me, associate professor of investments at the American College. And it is called the American College. He's internationally yes, known sir. for his research. <laughs> it is absolutely, and you know, there's there, you know, it not just American College it is the American College capital, just like the Wall Street Journal. He's internationally known for his research on mutual funds. He's published in leading journals and presented at the New York Stock Exchange, the World Finance Conference, the Financial Management Association. He's been quoted in various media outlets, including Fox News, Time, the Associated Press, and a returning guest on Wealth. DNA radio show. Let's give a warm radio welcome to David Ninigian. Ninigian, I'm going to get it right one of these days, David. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope I'm pretty close on the last name, correct? Absolutely. Thank you, Ron. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're always we always like having you on. You're 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 much more energetic than some of our guests. Uh, <laughs> although our guests are always very knowledgeable, it's good to 
combine the two. So uh, it, it is great to have you. Now, I, I gave a brief overview of your background. Obviously, you're with the American College, and uh, you teach uh, students about um, mutual funds, investment funds. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? Well, I think you pretty much hit the, the main points. Um, so my work is all about helping others make better investment decisions. So I do this through my research and by extension through my teaching as well. My main area of expertise is in mutual funds. I teach a specialty course on mutual funds in the Master of Science and Financial Services program at the American College every quarter, and I really enjoy it. Okay, remind our listeners about the American College. This is not the first time we've had somebody from there for good reason. Uh, but uh, tell us just a little bit about the American College. Who are the students and why do they enroll there versus other places? So the American College is one of the largest nonprofit providers of financial services education for securities, banking, and insurance professionals. At the American College, we're all about raising the level of professionalism in the financial services industry. And we do this in a couple of ways. We do this through creating new knowledge about topics of practical relevance to financial services professionals who serve individual investors, and we do this through disseminating the latest knowledge about these topics to our students through our courses that are primarily delivered online. Okay. So the American and College, mm -hmm. here, we, we, we prefer the CLU, CHFC, and RICP designations, as well as a few others. And we're also the largest provider of CFP certification education. And we have a number of degree programs, the largest of which is the Master of Science and Financial Services, MSFS program. And I've mostly been involved in this program throughout my tenure at the college. My students are working professionals in the financial services industry. Most of my students already have the CHFC or CFP designations prior to entering to the MSFS program, and they enroll in the MSFS program to advance their knowledge about financial services. Okay, so it really is certification. This is not entry level, I want to learn about what stocks and bonds are. This is really a college where professionals already working, as you said, are coming for certification and expanding their uh, the depth of their knowledge. Well, we offer, um, uh, we, we cover the whole gamut. I mean, pretty from uh, programs that are designed for the financial planner just starting out to programs that are uh, designed for the financial planner who's been in the business for several years. Uh, the program that I'm mainly involved in, the MSFS, is one of the latter programs. So uh, mm -hmm. the, most of my students are older than me. Uh, they've been uh, working uh, with uh, individual investor clients for several years, and they take my course in order to, um, uh, to, to update uh, their knowledge on uh, financial services and to learn new things that aren't uh, covered in the, um, the, the, the more basic uh, programs, such as the CHFC or the CFP program. Mm -hmm. Now, the last time you were on, we talked about indexed CDs, which I wasn't very familiar with. Uh, one of the surprising things I just had not you know, become aware of. You mentioned they're a depository product, and I, I kind of think of them as the cousins of annuities, which are an insurance product. And both right. have some results linked to indices like the stock market, but they're not stock, pro stock or, or, or really investment products in the traditional sense, correct? That, uh, basically, that's right. So when you think about an index CD, in essence, the way that most of these work is that instead of paying you interest, what they do is they let you participate in the upside 
of the returns on the market if the market goes up. And if the market goes down, then you're guaranteed to always get back uh, the principal that you invested into the fund, okay? So you can, uh, uh, you can never experience a loss in nominal terms with an index CD as long as it's FDIC insured. And if you piqued the curiosity of any of our listeners, there is an archive of that show well worth listening to. I really enjoyed that show. Now, the primary focus of the American College, is, as we talk about, is really financial advisors. And yours, specifically, is about investment funds, correct? Yeah, uh, mutual funds primarily. So mm-hmm. I, I teach a specialty uh, course that we call mutual funds at the American mm-hmm. College, uh, but about two-thirds of the content is mutual funds. The other one-third of the content in the course is um, uh, other products that compete with mutual funds for investor capital. Those products are primarily exchange-traded funds, hedge funds, mm-hmm. private equity funds, and real estate investment trust. Okay. All right. Very good. Now, to do that, I assume you follow a lot of the research done on investment funds. You also conduct some of your own uh, analysis. Yes, I've uh, published eight papers in peer-reviewed journals, and I travel around the world like a bird (laughs) uh, presenting my research and discussing the research of others. So your listeners can learn more about my research by visiting my Social Science Mm -hmm. Research Network author page. Uh, To do that, they can just go to uh, ssrn.com. That stands for the Social Science Research Network, ssrn.com. And then okay. type my name, David Nanigian, in the search field in the upper right-hand corner of the SSRN homepage. Uh, and my last name is spelled N-A-N-I-G-I-A-N. Those are N's like Naraki. Correct. Perfect. And, and, and quite frankly, that was one of the things I wanted to make sure people knew how to learn more about you. And that's a, that's a great source. So the SSRN.com and then your last slash your, uh, your full name, David Nanigian. Perfect. Well, to go to my SSRN author, author page, they would, they would go to SSRN.com and then type mm-hmm. my name in the search field in the upper oh, right-hand the corner of the – yeah, yeah, just uh, type in okay. uh, and, uh But there's, I also have um, a faculty bio page on the American okay. College's website, um, and that web address is www.theamericancollege.edu slash Nanigian, which is N-A-N-I-G-I-A-N. Okay, I knew there was somewhere I saw the slash and then your last name on it, and that's that's obviously where I was. And again, good good reminders. So the yes, SSRN, I have two web pages. I have my faculty bio page and uh, my <laughs> SSRN author page. Right, and the SSRN is a .com, and of course the American College logically is .edu, but we would have forgotten that had I not had you not specifically mentioned it. I tend to forget about the .edu. Okay, from my travels, various parts of the world, most markets that have these investments funds, that's what they just call them. They call them investment funds. We specifically call them mutual funds here in the U.S. What's mutual about them, or how did that name come about? Basically, shareholders in a mutual fund, so people who own mutual funds, mutually benefit from appreciation in the fund's portfolio of individual securities. So that's why we call them mutual funds. Um, It's interesting that you mentioned that you've heard them referred to as investment Mm -hmm. funds in many Mm -hmm. countries outside the United States. Um, I've done quite a bit of uh, traveling uh, internationally, giving presentations of my research uh, outside the United States, and uh, mm-hmm. they're predominantly referred to as mutual funds based on my experience. And mm-hmm. I, I skimmed the most recent proceedings of the World Finance Conference, which is one of the largest uh, international uh, global finance conferences, and 
there, I didn't see any mention of that phrase investment fund on the program, but uh, there were several uh, instances of, of mutual funds. So, um, so anyways, based, based on my experience, I've seen them referred to as, as mutual funds outside the United States as well. But you, you do raise an interesting point because there's many different types of investment funds. There's Correct. not only mutual funds, but other types of funds that compete with mutual funds for investor capital, such as hedge funds, exchange-traded funds, and private equity funds. And um, I think if we have some time, we might talk about those a little bit later on today. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I definitely want to cover that. As a matter of fact, in that, that the final section, we always cover some of the most difficult. So we've got some tough questions for you at the last uh, last piece for sure. Hey, before we, we right. kind of jump in, into some of these um, uh, some of these other topics, let, let's go back to kind of the beginning because we're talking here about you know where the name came, came comes about the mutual benefit and stuff. Who are some of the individuals and companies you consider the pioneers of this uh, this industry of these uh, of these investment funds, specifically these mutual funds? Fidelity, American Funds, T. Rowe Price, BlackRock, Oppenheimer. They're some of the big players. Um, in, in the industry, Vanguard and Dimensional Fund Advisors are pioneers in the low-cost index fund segment of the industry, which we'll talk about more a little bit later on. Um, Franklin Templeton's uh, certainly a big player in the emerging markets niche. PIMCO is the leader in the bond mutual funds, or at least they were Work, <laughs> until right. they lost their so-called bond king, uh, Bill Gross, to a smaller fund company, Janus, a few months ago. So now PIMCO is focusing on collaborating with another research firm, research affiliates, and I think it'll be very interesting to see how this partnership develops. The strategies of research affiliates, as implied by their name, are uh, driven by sound academic research. So I'm quite hopeful that this relationship between PIMCO and research affiliates will really prosper and flourish. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. No. When you when you mentioned that some of the, some of the names, I, I you know you 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 obviously match a lot of them. The Fidelity, the Johnsons uh, got that business started. Uh, of course, uh, Vanguard, which was uh, uh, Bogle uh, Templeton, of course, yeah. was was one of the real pioneers. And so, you know, those are some of the guys I always think of when I think of getting this whole thing started. But also, uh, Pioneer itself, the uh, the company Pioneer Investments, uh, was another That's one right. I had to work for many years ago. Um, but okay, let's let's uh, you know obviously talk a little bit about the uh, the advantages. Uh, when I think of investment funds or, or mutual funds, I think of you know the fact that I can have a diversified portfolio. Um, I can uh, you know basically step in small amount of money. Uh, you know what do you see as some of the key advantages of these of these products? The main advantages of mutual funds are professional management and relatively low-cost diversification. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, to, for an individual investor to decide if they're, if they're going to pick their own stocks and do it themselves, it's really a very time-consuming um, uh, process. They have to understand a company's business model and its products or services. They need to rigorously analyze industry structure, analyze financial statements, and then combine all that information to forecast uh, to forecast a pro forma financial statements. And then finally, uh, they'll conduct uh, discounted cash flow analysis to determine whether a stock is undervalued or overvalued. Um, this is very difficult for the average investor to do. Executing sound equity analysis um, requires extensive knowledge of corporate strategy, accounting, and valuation models, and most individual investors don't 
possess this background. So it is much better for them to leave this task to uh, professional portfolio managers that are employed by mutual funds. Okay. I want to cover a but on that, but before I do that, let me remind our listeners you're tuned to the Wealth Internet Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Our sponsor today is BI Solutions Corp., a real estate fund in the Phoenix and Scottsdale area. Now, if you missed some of the prior shows, you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive on wealthdna.us. Now, if you'd like to get an email reminder of the show, send an email to me, ron at WealthDNA.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. And reminder, during the show, we welcome you to ask questions. The easiest way is the chat window below the radio player if you're on the Internet. Or you can call in, 917-388-4162. That number is also shown at the top of the Internet screens. Our topic today is investment or mutual funds, and our guest is David Ninian, uh, an associate professor of investments at the American College who teaches financial advisors about these mutual funds. All right, let me let me throw out the butt. So we think mm-hmm. of that key advantage, but on the other hand, if I look at just the the U.S. market where I can get the numbers a little bit easier, uh, there's about five thousand publicly traded stocks in the U.S. And there's close to 8,000 investment of these mutual funds uh, that I could, you know, it seems like it'd be easier to, you know, to look through a universe of 5,000 companies and pick a few than it is a universe of 8,000 to pick some funds. So uh, tell me, uh, uh, you know, contrast those two with me. Well, in order for an investor to conduct proper analysis of an individual stock, they're going to need to have essentially at least level of knowledge of as as, as, a, as a typical MBA has, uh, plus some mm-hmm. additional finance classes. So uh, it takes a, a long time to acquire that knowledge, and it, it's a very quantitative uh, domain of uh, knowledge as well. Um, so uh, most most individuals um, simply don't possess that type of a background, uh, just as most individuals uh, don't possess, say. Uh, a, 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 a medical background uh, to to, mm-hmm. to cure a disease that they might have, or to to um, for example, so so they see a doctor instead. So uh, similarly, uh, individual investors uh, they should see uh, a, a money. Most individual investors individual investors are best off seeing a money doctor, <laughs> a, a, a mutual a financial planner who could. Um, who could uh, help them uh, select some mutual funds uh, rather than just do it themselves through uh, making direct investments in individual stocks. Um, now, it's, uh, I think, okay for, uh, for some mainstream investors to have some of their portfolio um, in individual stocks, um, uh, but uh, I think that for most individual investors, the majority of their portfolio should be professionally managed by an individual or groups of individuals who have uh, an extensive uh, background and expertise in uh, portfolio management. So uh, I think it's okay for uh, an individual, maybe they they know about a company that that they think has a really great product or a great service. Mm -hmm. And I would say um, that, sure, it's okay for them to have five, maybe 10% of their portfolio in in those types of stocks, um, even even without having um, a, a, a sophisticated level of financial knowledge um, to, that's needed to conduct discounted cash flow analysis. But the majority of their portfolio should be uh, prudently and professionally managed. Okay. 
Now, one of the things I was, I was assuming you would also catch me on the fact that I gave an unfair comparison, because I talked about stocks only when I said there are about 5,000 publicly traded. Those investment funds include far more than just stocks. They do include bonds. They do include uh, a number of other things. I assume in, even the, uh, the, the uh, REITs or the uh, REITs are included in that mix of, of, of listed companies. So uh, you actually didn't uh, also give our tip to the, uh, to the audience that the 8,000 is a much broader range of investments than just the stocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, uh, I appreciate you illuminating that. So, yeah, the, the 8,000 that there's roughly 8,000 8, mutual funds offered in the United States, and those cover mm-hmm. not only uh, stocks but uh, bonds, also known as fixed income, alternative mm-hmm. investments. Um, and uh, so, yeah, very, very good point. Okay. Uh, and then, REIT, well, so there, sure. yeah, there's REIT. You mentioned REIT. So there's there's Real estate investment trusts, which invest in diversified portfolios of real estate, so hotels or apartments. Uh, and there's also REIT mutual funds. A REIT mutual fund will mm-hmm. invest in a diversified portfolio of REITs, and each of those individual REITs will invest in a diversified portfolio of individual properties. Okay, just to, just to highlight the unfairness in my, of my uh, comparison of the 5,000 to 8,000, um, uh, give us a, a, just a broad scale range, uh, you know, the amount of capital that's invested in stocks versus bonds. Uh, I understand the bond market is actually significantly bigger than the stock market, correct? That's right. Um, based on data from the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association, mm-hmm. there's around the, the United States bond market has a market value of around $38 trillion. Wow. Uh, based on data from the World Bank, the United mm-hmm. States stock market has a, a, a total market value of around $19 trillion. Okay, so so just about double, and you know as, as you're going through that, right. I was thinking through also if you just look at the real estate side, you know just take our, our personal homes, uh, you know the vast majority of people or a large percent, not not vast majority have um, have a mortgage on their property, and they would typically take an eighty percent mortgage. Uh, some of course having bigger mortgages, so that would imply that uh, you know again the debt side, the mortgage side is hugely bigger than the amount of equity you have in our properties, and similar similar analogy of of a company taking stock uh, and, and bonds, they're going to want to take more bonds because theoretically they're they're uh, uh, cheaper than bringing in all new you know investor cash. So it, interesting point. We can't just make that comparison. Hey, there's 8,000 mutual funds. I'll just pick my own stocks. Uh, it sounds mm-hmm. much easier. But you're going to ignore some of the biggest markets out there like uh, bonds, like the uh, real estate, the whole debt market. Uh, you're going to ignore currencies, all of those kinds of things, some of which are indeed uh, publicly traded um, uh, funds out there. Uh, or funds include those other things as well. So I just wanted to make sure that that our listeners don't take my uh, my one you know mm-hmm. simple question there and and try to you know go off and say hey uh, you know uh, David was wrong. It really is easier to just pick stocks. So uh, make sure that we're we're well clear on that. But but good points. Professional management one, but also it is it is a much broader market in mutual funds. You're covering huge markets in uh, in debt as well as other areas. Okay, now one of the mandatory SEC disclosures that we always talk about is uh, past performance is not representative nor indicative of future results. But if I'm trying to pick these funds, how can I ignore past performance? How would I choose between funds within an asset class? I, I mean, I I'm going to want to pick those that have done well in the past. Correct. 
Ron, I'd like to go back for just a minute and uh, discuss sure. that phrase sure. a little bit more. Past performance Good. is Good. not indicative of future results. What has mm -hmm. the research in financial economics uh, uh, found regarding that statement? Mm -hmm. uh, is there any value to, of, in terms of past performance in, in predicting future results? Well, the research has shown that the funds that rank in the bottom 10% of performance, they mm -hmm. tend to continue to perform poorly. So what we can infer from the prior research is that the funds in the bottom decile of performance, investors should try to stay away from those funds. But from the other, for the other 90% of uh, funds out there, there is very little, predict, if any, predictive power, uh, especially uh, in forecasting performance more than one or two years out. So um, that being said, what are some things other than past performance that one should consider when selecting a mutual fund? Well, exactly. there's, there's several. Um, first, I'll start off with a statistic known as R-squared um, from an asset okay. pricing model regression. So mm -hmm. if one regresses the returns on a stock against the returns on the stock, on the stock market, mm -hmm. the regression model will output an R-squared statistic. Okay. What the R-squared denotes in, um, in, is the percentage of the variation in the returns on that stock over time that is explained by a variation in the returns on the market over the same time period. So, mm -hmm. for example, let's say that we run um, a simple capital asset pricing model regression of the returns of some stock, any stock, against the returns on a broad market index, such as, for example, the Wilshire 5000. And the R-squared statistic that pops out is 0 0.90. We could then infer that 90% of the variability in that stock's returns over time is attributable to market risk and mm -hmm. the other uh, to movements in the broad market. And the remaining 10% of the variability in that fund's returns over time is attributable to what financial economists call idiosyncratic factors. Idiosyncratic factors. Okay. So, put simply then, that means other stuff besides uh, market risk. So, um, if one invests in mutual funds, R-squared can also be used to gauge a uh, fund manager's level of effort in selecting individual securities to hold in its portfolio. A fund, if a fund has a very high R-squared, close to one, R-squared is always mm -hmm. going to range from zero to one. If it has mm -hmm. an R-squared of close to one, then we could infer that it's essentially behaving as an index fund, okay? Um, okay. So why would one pay the higher fees of an actively managed fund um, if the performance, if the fund manager is exerting the level of, of, of effort of an index fund where he or she is simply uh, appears to just be tracking a benchmark index instead. Well, they shouldn't invest in those funds. So if one is going to buy actively managed funds, they should look for funds that have a low R-squared statistic. And there was a great paper that was published a couple of years ago by Almahud and Goyenko in the Review of Financial Studies. And what they did is they sorted mutual funds into one of five portfolios based on their quintile rank of R-squared from a slightly more sophisticated asset pricing model called mm -hmm. the Carhartt four-factor model. What they found is that the portfolio of 
low R-squared funds um, vastly outperformed its higher R-squared counterparts. Um, so hmm. it, this really plays out in performance, uh, selecting funds that have low R-squareds from an asset pricing model regression, such as the Carhartt four-factor model regression. So that's one of the main suggestions I would give to one who wow. is looking for a good actively managed fund. Invest in a fund with a low R-squared statistic. Uh, another piece of advice I would offer okay. is to look for a fund whose management team has skin in the whose manager or management team has skin in the game, mm-hmm. has their own fund capital mm-hmm. invested in the mutual fund. So the research has shown that uh, mutual fund performance is increasing in the level of fund manager ownership. Funds with higher levels of manager ownership do better than those with little or no um, uh, fund manager ownership. Similarly, look for funds whose members of their board of directors have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Funds with uh, board of director ownership uh, considerably outperform those without uh, board of director ownership. So um, look for those look for those signals of incentive alignment. Okay, uh, as evidenced by having uh, by the management and board of directors having some skin in the game. Hmm. Um, okay, so, great. So 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 those are those are three points. Look for funds with low R square. Look for funds with fund manager ownership. Look for funds with uh, board of director ownership. Also, um, I would suggest that investors shy away from funds that are affiliated with an investment bank. Um, Oftentimes, if an investment bank um, is trying to sell IPOs in a stock that, well, isn't is 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 kind of a junky stock, isn't isn't that good of a company, uh, and they're having trouble selling those shares to individual investors or institutional investors, what they'll do is they'll sell it to a mutual fund that their parent company operates, okay? So this is an unethical activity, um, and it's uh, and the performance of those stocks, as you might imagine, um, tends to be, be quite abysmal. So um, for that reason, I would suggest that investors shy away from mutual funds that are affiliated with an investment bank. Now, uh, in the interest of full disclosure here, this is not to make a blanket judgment that sure. investment banks are evil or that all investment bank affiliated funds are, uh, are poor, will perform poorly. Uh, there certainly are some uh, very high quality um, investment bank um, affiliated mutual funds, some of which I have invested in myself. Uh, mm-hmm. But the research has shown that um, on average, Funds that are affiliated with an investment bank tend to underperform their counterparts that are not affiliated with an investment bank. Um, okay. The next oh. piece of, sure. The next Just piece of advice I would offer is to invest in a fund that has a short-term redemption fee. Dealing with uh, rapid inflows and outflows of investor capital is very, very costly for a fund manager because – uh, if a fund has volatile money flow, that fund manager will have to have a high cash balance, and so then there's cash drag because, mm-hmm. as we know, over the long run, cash earns a much lower rate of return than stocks do. Or if, if he doesn't have that a large cash buffer, then what he or she is going to need to do is to uh, place tr- 
trades, uh, which can be quite costly for the mutual fund, not necessarily in terms of brokerage commissions, but rather in terms of bid-ask spreads and price impact. Um, an annualized trading cost of mutual funds are on average greater than their operating expenses uh, based on a recent study that was conducted by uh, Evans uh, from the University of Virginia and, and published in the Financial Analyst Journal. So having a redemption fee helps mitigate the risk of uh, redemption shocks to a mutual fund. And through mitigating that risk, they can have more money at work in risky assets rather than cash, which, own, which well, nowadays earns a, a, a near zero rate of return in nominal terms and a negative right. rate of return in real terms. Um, it also and, enables and them truly to invest negative in, in other parts of the world too. That, that's well, yeah. It's in other parts of the world, it's, it's negative even in nominal terms. For example, in Switzerland, uh, last, last I checked, uh, the returns on their uh, uh, sovereign debt were around negative half a percent, uh, just just in nominal terms. So the, the benefit of the, re, the short-term redemption fee is that it lets mm-hmm. the fund have more capital at work in risky assets. Um, it helps keep down the trading costs, and it also um, it puts the fund manager in a position to invest in less liquid securities. And recent research by Ibbotson, Roger Ibbotson from, from Yale, you've mm-hmm. probably heard the name, sure, sure. And, and others as well, has shown that less liquid stocks considerably outperform their more liquid counterparts. Um, there is um, uh, liquidity... Um, is increasingly being shown to be uh, a very large predictor of the cross-section of stock returns. And there's a lot of exciting research in this area. So uh, through having a short-term redemption fee, uh, the risk of redemption shocks is mitigated, and therefore the fund manager uh, uh, feels more comfortable deploying his or her investor's capital into less liquid securities which over the long run earn a higher rate of return. Uh, and my uh, last piece of advice regarding one's uh, things to look for in selecting an actively managed fund mm-hmm. would be to look for a fund that has a, a minimum initial purchase requirement of at least $100,000 or that has a sister share class with a minimum initial purchase requirement of at least $100,000. The reason for that is because funds can only compete in that high net worth segment of the market if they have a high-quality offering. So based on my research and that of others as well, what we found is that funds with a high minimum initial purchase requirements considerably outperform their counterparts, and if an investor doesn't have the um, um, level of wealth to invest in a fund with a minimum initial purchase requirement of at least $100,000, they can um, sort of piggyback upon that effect through simply investing in the sister share class of a fund that does have uh, a minimum initial purchase requirement of at least $100,000. Does that make sense? 
Oh, wow. Sure sure does. You know what? I've taken so many notes, I've run out of paper here. I should have had more paper on my desk. I think I've just gotten triple my money's worth of this show, and uh, we're only halfway there. Uh, let me, let me uh, but while we're on this, because this kind of really caps it off, you've mentioned some great stuff that I want to look at. A lot of it I was not familiar with, so I'm, I'm just, you know, uh, flabbergasted and taking notes here. But uh, how do I get some of this information? Are you looking at Morningstar, Bloomberg, Reuters? Do I have to go to Ibbotson's uh, research? Or, you know, how do I find some of the information you talked about, uh, obviously the the minimum investment I can I can get uh, a little bit easier, about some of the R squareds and those kinds of things. Where do I find that? All this information is available through major vendors of market data, and or okay. through the fund prospectus that it provides to its investors free of charge. Hmm. I didn't didn't uh, I guess boy there's yeah. some good stuff in the prospectus. I may have to read them. Yeah, but also check out the statement of additional information that accompanies the prospectus. It's it's part of the prospectus, but there's mm-hmm. a few different parts of the prospectus. This isn't the main summary prospectus. This is a separate part, and that's going to give you a lot of the um, the uh, board of director or uh, fund manager ownership uh, uh, data. Wow, good stuff. Is you, you also answered one of the things I was going to ask you about. You know, if I look at a stock, I can I can get all sorts of data, and I just pulled up one of these screens. But you know, I can get uh, things like return on assets, return on equity. I can get PE ratios and and, and PEG ratios, uh, gross profits, EBITDA, uh, you know, other places I can go to market share and products for an individual stock. So I'm kind of inundated with data. Uh, what you're really saying is, for a fund, I don't have to do a lot of that research. I, I look at the opposite side, the research I want to do is on some of these factors you talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, um, most of those that information will be contained um, in the databases offered by major vendors of market data, mm-hmm. uh, but sometimes sure. it's only available in their, in their premium databases. So Morningstar, for example, um, has several different types of databases. Um, uh, they have a, a free version of their sure. database online, but it's fairly limited in its coverage of data. Uh, and then they have uh, Morningstar Direct, which is the one that I use in my academic Mm -hmm. research at American College, Uh, and then they have several between the two. Uh, But um, most of this information uh, should be available uh, through through in the fund's prospectus. Um, The only one that... The only one that wouldn't be available would be um, the the R squared statistic, but that's a statistic that's uh, pretty commonly um, uh, available in a lot of the, from a lot of the major vendors of market data. Okay, all right. So that that's one that I may have to do a little extra digging to to get, but just talk to some of my friends. Uh, in, in or you places. could run a regression yourself, um, so you could you oh, could gather like data fun. on R returns and. I think it's fun, <laughs> but I'm a finance professor, so it's fun to be isn't necessarily fun to everybody else. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, you could, uh, so, so yeah, uh, this is the type of thing that I've done in some some class projects before, and uh, have have we'll, the students will uh, run a regression of the returns on a fund against the returns oh. on a major market index, uh, such as the Wilshire 5000, or the returns, or or run it against the uh, returns on the factors in the Carhartt four-factor model. Uh, which controls for some other um, common factors in stock return other than market risk. Um, and that data can be on, on the, the returns on the uh, factor mimicking portfolios can be downloaded for free uh, from Kenneth French's website. Um, so he's a famous finance professor at uh, Dartmouth, and he generously provides that data for free 
um, and historical time series of returns on mutual funds um, is oftentimes available through, uh, through most major vendors of market data. Okay, would you repeat his name again? Uh, well, the, the, Kenneth French, uh, he provides the right. uh, returns on the Carhart four factor model. So he provides the returns on the uh, the returns on the market factor, the size factor, and the value factor are consolidated into the FAMA French uh, factor loading mm-hmm. file. And then he has a separate file for the returns on Carhartt's momentum factor. Um, uh, so it's it's called a it's called Momentum, and that's in a separate file on his website. So if one just goes to Google and types in Kenneth French Data Library, mm-hmm. they could uh, they could uh, retrieve his returns from there. Okay. It sounds like he, he's, he's named after some of those factors or vice versa. That's right. <laughs> yep, yeah, uh, I, should, I should tell our listeners who just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. If you missed the earlier part of the show, you can listen to, the, to it on the archive. Or if you missed prior shows, same place, wealthdna.us. Today, our guest is David Ninigian. Our uh, topic is investment slash mutual funds, or investment, a.k.a. mutual funds. David's a uh, associate professor of investments at the American College, and that is the American College who teaches financial advisors about mutual funds. Okay, before we dig into a couple more tough topics, let me add uh, a little bit of complication. There's something called alpha and beta of uh, of stocks and I assume of funds. Uh, could you define those terms for us? Sure, um, but I, I, I'd just like to go back for just one second. Sure. One thing I wanted to add is the the those those different things to look for in a mutual fund, uh, low R squared, mm-hmm. fund manager ownership, board of director ownership, lack of affiliation with an investment bank, a short-term redemption fee, and um, a high minimum initial purchase share class, um, those all pertain to actively manage mutual funds. If one yep. uh, decides to yep. um, have a passive portfolio management strategy mm-hmm. for their portfolio and um, through – owning uh, passively managed mutual funds, then their uh, selection process is much more simple. Uh, Simply select the uh, least expensive uh, uh, mutual fund, uh, the least expensive index mutual fund, because index funds are essentially commodity products in the sense that they um, seek to, that all the index funds that are associated with a particular index, well, they simply seek to replicate the performance of that index. So just select the least expensive one in that case. Um, so, uh, going back to your question mm-hmm. on alpha, and beta. Uh, alpha mm-hmm. and beta, defining those terms, I'll start off with some, some, some definitions. So, beta, in the context of the capital asset pricing model, is a factor loading which denotes a fund's exposure to market risk. Okay. A fund with a beta of one has an average level of market risk exposure. An example of such a fund would be an index fund that only seeks to perfectly replicate the performance of a broad market index, such as, for example, the Wilshire 5000. Now let us consider a fund with a beta of 2, so a fund that has a market risk factor loading of 2. It is two times as sensitive to the returns on the market than a fund such as a Wilshire 5000 index fund, given in the prior example, that has a beta of 1. Lastly, let us consider a fund with a beta of 0.5. A fund with a beta of 0.5 is only half as sensitive to the returns on the market than the index fund that I uh, provided in the first example. 
Does that make sense? Absolutely, and absolutely, and I should add to that that if it goes negative, it's it's rare, but uh, that would just mean that uh, the market goes up and they tend to go down. What the market does exactly. So it's not bad news. It's not that they're losing money. That's just uh, just the Mm -hmm. relationship stock. Okay, let's talk about alpha a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, but but like you said, it's very rare to to come across a fund that has a a negative beta, especially over an extended period of time. So, uh, turning to alpha, then alpha in the context of CAPM is a measure of a fund's market risk-adjusted return. When people hear alpha uh, in mutual funds, sometimes they think to themselves that maybe it's something that has to do something about with the personality of the fund manager, like his ego or something like that. No, it has nothing to do with that. Alpha is a measure of a fund's market risk-adjusted return. So let us consider a fund with an annualized alpha of 1%. We can infer that this fund generated one percentage point of abnormal or market risk-adjusted return per year for its shareholders. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in other words, Um, I want the bigger the alpha, the better the fund manager, the better the fund or or stock as well. If we make some simplifying assumptions, theoretically, if we make some simplifying assumptions about investors' risk preferences, then yes, investors should look for funds that will deliver a high alpha. The goal of most fund managers is to maximize their assets under management. If investors are looking for funds that will deliver a high alpha, then by extension, the goal of each fund manager is to generate a high alpha. Mm -hmm, However, mm Much of investor money flow is largely an artifact of marketing tactics employed by mutual funds <laughs> rather than beliefs on alpha-generating ability. So, surprise, uh, in, surprise. So, so it, it, in practice, things don't pan out quite as well as financial theorists uh, would, would, would predict. Uh, uh, financial theorists assume that all individual investors um, – uh, are, are so-called mean variance optimizers, um, and, and as a result, they seek to maximize the alpha on their portfolios and that investors um, act up, uh, with complete information and that, um, and that they're, they're not distracted by things like uh, marketing tactics. Uh, but mm-hmm. in reality, um, in, investors are subject to um, a, a vast array of uh, behavioral, uh, behavioral biases in, in heuristics and other types of things that um, in, in impede their decision-making ability. And that's where the, uh, the value of a good financial planner um, it, it really comes in, it, it, to be able to help uh, uh, direct uh, investors' uh, decision-making process. Now, if I, but if I'm trying to do it myself, let's say, or, or just ask specific questions of a financial advisor, can I get the, the alpha and a beta for, uh, for individual funds? Beta is something that's uh, available through most of the major vendors of mutual fund data. Um, Alpha, not quite as frequently, but it's still available in a lot of the um, through through from a lot of the vendors. Uh, But if if you can't actually get the alpha, you should be able to get a time series of historical returns on a mutual fund. And then one could run a simple ordinary least squares regression in a program such as uh, Microsoft's Excel uh, to observe to observe the alpha. So they would run the exact same type of regression model 
to drive, the exact same type of regression model that they would use to drive an R-squared statistic is the same that they would use to drive uh, an estimate of a fund's alpha. No, that's and, and by the way, uh, when I when I took the sadistics courses, as we called them in in college, we didn't have Excel, so we had to do things uh, much harder ways, and of course, specialized programs and yeah. those kinds of things. So people forget how easy they have it these days, and they, they, even if that scares them away, it used to be a lot tougher. Uh, but okay, so let's say the alpha is not as easy to get. You've done some research on strategies for uh, using beta. Uh, tell us a little bit about how I might be able to use beta, or how I might choose funds based on their beta? Sure. So the capital asset pricing model, CAPM, it says that there is a simple linear relationship between market risk and return, between those two things, market mm -hmm. risk and return. Specifically, the capital asset pricing model, CAPM, predicts that a stock's return should be equal to the sum of two parts. The first part is the return on risk-free assets such as treasuries, so mm -hmm. such as treasury bills or um, or 10-year treasury bonds. Those, uh, those are common proxies for this risk-free asset. Mm -hmm. The second part of that equation is the product of two terms. It's the product of the expected level of return on the market in excess of the risk-free rate of return and also the stock's beta. So in theory, stocks should mm -hmm. be priced according to CAPM. However, a trilogy of empirical tests since the creation of the model have consistently shown that the beta return relationship is virtually flat. In other mm -hmm. words, a stock with a beta of two generates uh, uh, roughly the same level of return as a stock with a beta of 0 0.5. What wow. this means for individual investors is that they can very easily reduce their exposure to market risk without, without compromising return through simply investing in low beta stocks. Hmm. Well, I, I, I got to admit, I am surprised. But my, you know, my first reaction is, you're, you're, you know, you're right. The higher the risk, the higher return. I should go to the high beta stocks. Uh, you know, just uh, hold my breath once in a while when things get rough, and I should get a better result. So what you're saying is that the market's not so efficient, and actually picking uh, a, a series of, of funds with low beta uh, will will give me unusually good returns and fairly low low uh, volatility in there. Well, it'll give one around the same level of return as higher beta stocks will, mm -hmm. but okay. with considerably okay. less risk, whether that's right. measured okay. by beta, so um, what economists call out-of-sample beta, so uh, beta in the future, in other words, or measured by um, the, 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 the volatility, um, specifically the, 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 the time series standard deviation of returns. Hmm. So, uh, okay. whether measured by either of those metrics, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the, the standard deviation of the time series of returns, so volatility or beta out of sample, um, uh, the, the, the risk is lower. Okay. Now Does that make sense? More Oh, absolutely. It, it, it does. Again, a, a tip that uh, yeah, I would not have been aware of, so I really appreciate that. Uh, I wanted to get across one of the toughest uh, questions for this segment. Uh, traditionally, all yeah, of the funds have been but actively... If we could just go back for, sure. for, 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 for yep. just, just a second, Ron. So, go ahead. Um, 
So I have a paper that's forthcoming in the Financial Services Review uh, mm -hmm. where I address whether or not investors can capitalize upon this low beta puzzle through simply investing in mutual funds that have low betas. This paper, I initially titled it Capitalizing on the Greatest Anomaly in Finance with Mutual Funds, but that was too radical for the referee at the journal, so okay. I retitled okay. it to Low Beta Investing with Mutual Funds. Um, at any rate, uh, your listeners can uh, download Capitalizing on the Greatest Anomaly in Finance with Mutual Funds for free uh, from my okay. SSRN author page, um, and uh, the Financial Services Review, um, they're, going to, uh, uh, they're going to post up uh, 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 the, the published version of it um, within the next few months uh, to, their, to their website, and uh, at, at least at the current time, their, their articles are, are free for anybody to download, and the published version will be titled Low Beta Investing with Mutual Funds. Sorry, okay. I didn't mean okay. to cut you off. It's just a paper no, that's no, generated good. considerable interest from the practitioner community. Um, a lot of the investment firms have been citing this paper in, in, in their research, so I think it's something that might be of interest to your listeners as well. No, de definitely so. As a matter of fact, toward the end, I'll make sure that I mention that if they contact me, I'll grab a copy for them as well. So uh, I can always download it and then send it off to them as well. So uh, good good tip. Didn't know that. Uh, let's let's go to the toughest question. Traditionally, all of these funds, uh, and we focused on it so far, have been actively managed. Uh, someone, at least uh, from the, from the point of view I know, is Jack Bogle, and maybe there are many others. Uh, and, and Jack's one of those guys I want to get onto the show hopefully this year. Uh, came up Great. with these index funds that mimic a particular market uh, with very very low annual fees and dwarf the tr traditional actively managed because you don't have to have the you know a experienced manager really. Uh, it's more computerized. Uh, which is better, these low-cost index funds or the actively managed funds? Big debate. I've never gotten a clear answer. You're the guy that I need a good answer from. I wish I could give you a simple answer, Ron, but the answer is okay. it depends. It okay, depends so give us, on give us the of the So it depends on the ferocity of the competition for information on corporate valuations um, in a particular segment of the market. And the ferocity of the competition for information on corporate valuations is going to differ across market segments. So small cap, okay. emerging markets, large cap, for example, and it's also going to vary over time. So what we're going to do, what we're going to see is an ebb and flow in the popularity of active versus passive portfolio management. And that's going to depend on uh, the relative performance of the two strategies. Since the emergence of index fund investing, uh, the index funds over the last 20 or so years, in, in most years, have in aggregate beat their actively managed counterparts. Um, so this has caused a lot of money to flow away from actively managed funds and into passively managed funds. But as more and more money flows into passively managed funds, uh, greater opportunities to profit, to generate abnormal returns, to generate alpha from participation in the price discovery process will emerge. And then uh, the actively managed funds will begin to outperform the passively managed funds. And then money will rationally flow back into actively managed funds. In 1980, uh, Grossman and Stiglitz wrote a great paper called on the impossibility of informationally efficient markets that was published in the American Economic Review, which talks about this phenomena in much greater detail. But the point here is that um, investors should pay careful attention to uh, just 
uh, how uh, ferocious the, the competition is for information in a particular market segment and monitor that over time. Uh, additionally, it's important to consider whether or not the actively managed funds are really behaving as actively managed funds. So we talked about closet indexing a little bit earlier on and how our squared statistic can be used to gauge that. So these are things that investors will want to put together in their decision of whether to actively or ma passively manage their portfolio in particular segments of our market. Okay, so if at the beginning of the year, and it might even be this time of year, kind of the first quarter, I start reading a lot of reports that uh, last year the index funds beat the pants off of the uh, active money managers, uh, right. this might be, I should try to be a contrarian in essence and probably start uh, moving more money out of the index funds and into the actively managed funds. Uh, now, is that you know this coming this for this year, or should, is there going to be a lag in that? It's going to take a few years before that effect takes place. And can you give us a little bit more guidance? But I, but you're really getting at be be contrary to what you read about in this case. That that's a that's a, it's difficult for one to put their finger on exactly when uh, okay. actively managed okay. funds are going to begin to outperform passively managed funds. It's something that a lot of uh, financial economists try to do, but it's a very challenging task. So I can't give you a definitive answer to that, but I will say that it's okay for investors to have some of their, uh, their um, money that's invested in a particular asset class be passively managed and some be actively managed in light of that uncertainty. You see? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. All right. But, but the contrarian approach, though, so your assignment before we have you back on the show, and I know we've got a bunch of things I still want to talk to you about on this, so we are going to try to do that in, in sometime in the, in the future, a little bit later on this year, get you back on, uh, talk about some of these details. But part of your assignment, right. then, is to figure out what that time lag is, and then you and I are going to start following that approach and uh, maybe go buy a couple homes where uh, John Templeton retired in the Bahamas or Bermuda or wherever he was, because uh, we're going to make a ton of money doing this. I'll try my best, Ron, but a lot of other economists are out there trying to address the same question and have been trying to do so for the last several years, and nobody's been able to come, uh, including people who are much smarter than me, have been able to come to a definitive answer on that. All right. I just, uh, you know, great, great, uh, great idea, though, and I, I had never heard that again. It's good, good to always get some interesting uh, tips from you. Hey, one of the things I've asked the producer about extending just a little bit, because I want to ask one other key question. Um, ETFs were launched, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago to, uh, in yeah. essence, uh, where you now can buy index funds equivalent on a, on a brokerage account. What's next in this whole investment mutual fund arena? Uh, one of the things that I'll, I'll share that might be helpful is Eaton Vance uh, representative mentioned that they are now uh, authorized to, to list ETMFs, which are um, exchange-traded mm -hmm. managed funds. Uh, they'll be calling those next shares, and they'll be launched by a variety of different companies. Could this be that next big thing, or other there are other things you see on the horizon uh, that that would be uh, kind of upcoming in the in the future in this arena? I think that our regulatory authorities, such as the SEC, are going to want to give uh, Eaton Vance's uh, some product, to, some, 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 a little bit of time to kind of see how their product actually pans out in the market mm -hmm. to see if it does, it does it really end up performing the way it was supposed to, um, um, for example. Um, but um, if it if it goes if it 
if the, if the SEC uh, seems to like it, then I would say that we're probably going to see a lot of other mutual fund companies uh, begin to um, develop similar types of products. And so we may end up um, having a lot of uh, uh, managed portfolios that are currently housed in a mutual fund structure switch mm-hmm. over to an ETF structure instead. Um, so I think it's uh, in, in many ways uh, a, a much more fair sort of a trading environment um, for investors, having, having mm-hmm. those portfolios be housed in, in an ETF structure for, uh, for, for some market microstructure reasons that, that, are, that are beyond the, the scope of t- today's call, I believe. Um, sure. But so, sure. so, yeah, I think we're going to see more of that. Um, but I also think that we're going to see uh, a lot more mutual funds uh, begin to empl- employ uh, hedge fund-like strategies and also make uh, considerable investments in, uh, in, 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 um, in private equity as well. Those are some of the trends that I see on the horizon. Cool. All right. Very, very helpful, and that's one of the things we yes, would Yes, it's very exciting time. Show. No, that, let me show I just, uh, just in case somebody thinks there's nothing new in the investing world. The fundamentals are the same, but the world does change. Let's go back yes. to those websites that you had mentioned at the beginning. So I want to make sure that people know where to find uh, the information about you. The first was SSRN.com, correct? And then they would just uh, search for your name, correct? Yeah, that's Nanigian, which is, uh, for those who, who dialed in later in the show, that's mm-hmm. N-A-N-I-G-I-A-N. Those are N's like Nancy. And mm-hmm. uh, they could also uh, check out some general information about me um, at my faculty bio page, which is www.theamericancollege.edu slash my last name, Nanigi, N-A-N-I-G-I-A-N. Okay, and again, the American College. Okay, we've covered a lot of aspects of these investment, uh, a.k.a. mutual funds today. Are there some key ones you'd like to emphasize or add? Uh, because obviously we couldn't cover everything, but there must be some, you know, some key points you might want to leave our uh, listeners with. First and foremost, remember that the asset allocation decision always comes first. Time and time again, the research has shown that asset allocation is a primary determinant of the performance of a household's investment portfolio. So no matter how good a mutual fund may seem to be, remember that the asset allocation decision always comes first. Secondly, if one decides to um, have passively managed funds to um, represent particular asset classes, invest in those passively managed funds with the lowest fees because passively managed funds are commodities in the sense that they have the exact same objective as as one another, which is to mimic the performance of a particular index. Now, if one decides to actively manage their portfolio instead, then there are a broader array of factors to consider. They should consider expenses. Nobody should buy any type of product without considering its cost, Mm -hmm. but they should also consider um, the R-squared of the mutual fund. Look for funds with low R-squareds from asset pricing regression models. Look for funds whose members of the management team and board of directors do have uh, skin in the game, as evidenced by their um, ownership stake in the mutual fund. Look for funds, uh, have an eye towards funds that are not affiliated with an investment bank, because there's oftentimes some conflicts of interest, which we discussed um, in investment um, bank-affiliated mutual funds. Look for funds that do have a short-term redemption fee. Just be sure to stay in the fund for longer than the affected (laughs) period of the redemption fee. That way you don't get hit with it yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And look okay. for funds that have that offer a share class with a minimum initial purchase requirement in excess of one hundred thousand dollars. 
Lastly, to the extent that one does have equity funds in their portfolio, invest in, have an eye towards low beta equity mutual funds. Yep, that is a neat tip. All right. And I'll add one, one thing on that with the uh, short-term redemption fee. Some of the funds have an alternative which accomplishes some of the same, which they limit the number of trades you can make. For example, two right. in a six-month period, uh, which would accomplish the same. So they don't have to look for those, just the wording short-term redemption fee. Uh, they would look for right. any wording that, uh, that, that restriction. I, most of the funds I invest are in that way, which to me are frustrating, so I like to move uh, a little bit more aggressively. But anyway, that's that's me. Well, the, the, uh, the, 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 yeah, with, with a caveat, um, unfortunately, there is not a variable on to indicate whether or not a fund has a round-trip trade restriction um, in mm-hmm. the major vendors of uh, mutual fund data, CRISP, or Morningstar Direct. Um, so um, I, I, I try, I, if I was able to tackle that question empirically, I, I, I would be working away on that. But unfortunately, we just don't have good data on the presence or absence of uh, round-trip trade restrictions. Uh, but we do have good data on mutual fund redemption fees. And uh, my research with uh, joint work with Michael Finca and William Waller has uh, shown that funds with redemption fees outperform their counterparts by uh, 1.0 to 1.4 percentage points per year on average wow. on an annualized basis, uh, depending wow. on that. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you're yeah, actually so able to quantify it in that case. Yes, yes. Wow, very cool. Pleasure to have the, you. The back title of that paper, by the way, is uh, mm-hmm. re- Redemption Fees. The title of the paper is Redemption Fees, Reward for Punishment. Um, that paper, like uh, Capitalizing on the Greatest Anomaly in Finance with Mutual Funds, has received con- uh, uh, considerable um, interest from the practitioner community, um, and it's also available for free download currently um, at my SSRN author page at SSRN.com, and then just type my name in the search field. Cool. As usual, great to have you on, David. And uh, since I've already thank you so much for having me here. I hope you'll come back on because I've already kind of promised that I'll have you back on. We'll talk about a little bit more detail in some of these areas, but really good stuff. These really are pretty key to uh, uh, our our journey on the financial holy grail. These investment or mutual funds. So really appreciate your being here. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks, David. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you're new to investing, take full advantage of these investment slash mutual funds and to uh, uh, diversify and grow your portfolio. Uh, the minimum investment varies, although most are between like $100 and $500. And again, a tip there to look for those that also have a class with a large investment minimum. Uh, now, of course, that is far lower, that uh, 100 to $500, than some of the investment strategies we talk about on this show. Now, if you're already on your way to becoming wealthy or you already achieved the holy grail, you probably gained some insight on how to take better advantage of these funds. I sure did. I suggest taking a few hours in the next week or two to review each of the funds you currently own that could be one of the best uses of your time, only second to listening to the Wealth DNA radio show. Now, we didn't have time to talk about some of the risks with these funds. I'd like to highlight one of them that you won't find in any of the perspectives, despite all of the legal risks that have to be cited there. You see, they're so easy to set up and forget about that the ones you invested in 10, 20, or even 30 years ago may no longer be appropriate or at least no longer appropriate for you. Why? Well, let me mention three key reasons. First, the objectives you had when you initially invested may no longer apply. For example, you wanted aggressive growth when you were younger and just starting out, and now you have a larger portfolio, you needed to either decrease that that uh, volatility, or maybe you need more income-producing assets. Uh, A second reason is performance of the fund may have been extremely good when you researched it. 
or the factors that uh, David talked about, when you review them now, uh, may not be what you wanted. So the performance and the uh, now new valuation you do it or, or evaluation of the funds uh, may no longer be the funds that you want to own today. Uh, the third is maybe the fund manager change. Is there for the person or group who are responsible for your selection or no longer running the fund? And I'll give two examples from my own portfolio years ago. Vanguard's Windsor Fund, which was run by John Neff, and Fidelity's Magellan Fund for quite a while was run by Peter Lynch. Uh, after they left, those performances were no longer the same, and those were good times to exit. So you're probably realizing we need a future show on tips for rebalancing and reallocating your portfolio, and, and it could get a broad range of investment funds. And by the way, that's the primary reason I mentioned that experienced investors should take some time to review the funds in their portfolio. Besides, the number of funds keeps growing, cost structures change, and you may be missing some opportunities better suited for your current investment needs. Now, I hope you saw the relevance of the two contrasting quotes, the first from Ron Chernoff. Mutual funds have historically offered safety and diversification, and they spare you the responsibility of picking individual stocks. Well accented by, uh, with a little more detail, obviously, from uh, our guest today. The second quote from Robert Kiyosaki and probably from Sharon Lecter, I don't like mutual funds. I think they're a ripoff. And again, they have their perspective. And quite frankly, I think both quotes are right. It is possible Kiyosaki was biased because he was selling people on multi-level marketing and real estate training as a part of his business. But personally, I think these investment slash mutual funds that we discussed today, a great way to initially build your portfolio. As your portfolio grows, you'll be able to find more cost-effective ways to meet many of your investment objectives. Now, let me just use one example from our show sponsor today. For the fixed income portion of my portfolio, I no longer invest in bond investment funds since I get far higher yield in private mortgage loans, which are secured by real property as opposed to unsecured debt issued by a number of different entities. And besides, the mortgages are paying me more. This is a key point. Even though a stock or bond is a security or a mutual fund is a security, it's registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission in the market that it was launched, that doesn't mean your money is secured by any tangible or real assets. Yes, the portfolio probably owns stocks, but if one of those or all of those stocks went bankrupt, you don't get money. You, they will not send, sell the furniture in that company to send you a check. The downside of uh, uh, these uh, private mortgage loans I mentioned, you need tens of thousands of dollars in assets to take advantage of them, whereas somebody with one, two, or maybe $3,000 in the fixed income portion of their portfolio should probably use a bond mutual fund or two. Now, regular listeners of the Wealth DNA radio show certainly know our objective is to help one million people become millionaires, and I'm confident some of the information we discussed today would be extremely helpful in that journey to become one of those millionaires. And remember, one of the best ways to increase your wealth, tune into the show twice a month. We'll share the investment fundamentals, some great in, uh, investment ideas, and help diversify and grow your portfolio today being a great example. And when you reach the Holy Grail, then do what I do, help others to achieve the same. Many thanks to BI Solutions Corp. for uh, sponsoring today's show. They're a residential real estate fund based in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area, and have helped many investors like me to have income for life. The next Wealth DNA Radio Show, second Monday of March, and that is March 9th, 9 a.m. Arizona, same place, same time. Our guest hasn't been confirmed yet, but you can be certain it will be well worth your time to tune in.
As usual, full lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. Now, if you have some comments, suggestions, or questions, or maybe you'd like a copy of some of those reports that David mentioned, or you haven't received my email, send an email to me, ron at WealthDNA.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events and send you those reports if you'd like. Happy investing and reviewing your existing investments in these funds. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.